somehow we hope to sort of wrap it up a little bit and sort of wrap up this journey of questions. And I am, over the course of this year, I've, um, I mean, don't judge me here, but I've been, one of my little guilty pleasures that I've been going through, I've been re-watching a show called One Tree Hill. Uh, if any of you know it, it's fantastic. No, it's not. It's so bad, but like, it's so cringe, but it's so addictive. And anyway, I've been watching it. And in one of the episodes, they share this quote from a guy named George Bernard Shaw. And it says this, There are two tragedies in life, losing your heart's desire and the other is gaining it. And then the whole episode begins this like really dramatic high school drama breakups and all this ridiculousness that's just so captivating and um but it's interesting because in they don't focus at all on the second part which is actually what I want to focus on a little bit tonight is this idea that if we gained our heart's desire like how average does that make that desire does that make sense so particularly when it comes to faith like how unappealing is a god that you can actually fully comprehend and fully understand and fully get your mind around. Like when you actually think about it, I don't know if that's the God that any of us really want. Like, do you really want a God that you know 100%? Because that means either we're on his level, one way or another, or that he's actually pretty small. But what if actually... (coughs) You know, God is way bigger than we could ever imagine. And what if we are far smaller than we actually think we are? And what if that's okay? What if, you know, all these questions that we've been wrestling throughout the year, all these doubts that we have, these struggles, these things we don't understand, like, what if that's actually okay to actually have that? And, you know, what I've been wrestling with over the last couple of weeks was like, maybe we were made for this discovery. Maybe we were made for this adventure of actually continually growing in God. That while we're on earth, we never, we never arrive. We never get the full picture. And that's just how great God is. And that's how small we are. And maybe that's okay. You know, it's kind of an uncomfortable way to think about faith. But, you know, what if that uncertainty, that doubt, those questions, that mystery... What if rather than that that being a daunting thing, what if that was an adventurous thing? You know, I've been reading this book and this guy reflects on history back in sort of 15th, 16th century when they started discovering the new world, when Europe started um, expanding across the oceans and they found new lands and began to then you know, send people to those new lands. And what that actually began was this whole Enlightenment Renaissance period where art and culture flourished as people discovered that our world is not just what we know like there's more out there and I just think what if it's the same with our faith that actually maybe our faith actually comes alive when we discover that there's actually more beyond this little box that I know that I've grown up in this little box of this is everything I understand and actually God's bigger than that and maybe that's when our faith begins to flourish So tonight we're going to talk about that. I've got a few different things to sort of help communicate that, a few different creative avenues because 
You know, one of the things I've been thinking about is that, like, I think to properly communicate God, we can't just use, like, we can't just rely on intellect and spoken, like, what we speak. And <clears throat> I'm a big fan of arts because I think art captures some of the uh, mystery, in a way, that sometimes words can't communicate. Um, so I've been listening to this song. I found it a few weeks ago, and Shane put me onto them, and I was like, man, this is awesome, so... Uh, it's called Discovery by Rivers and Robots. Um, so I just want to have a listen, and uh, I think it really captures the heart of what tonight's all about. So let's just have a listen. You are more real than I know. Help me remember. life to my soul help me remember that you're in control cause when you speak I feel my heart burning teach my soul to be been listening to that on repeat a lot 
throughout the last couple of weeks and I just love that line that now I know I was made for this discovery. It says, you are never ending in all your ways and I could search out your heart for all my days. And I think, I just thought, oh, what if tonight that sort of captured the heart, that, that we could be drawn into that pursuit? Because <clears throat> in the end, that's the, what I believe is the truth of the Bible is that God has revealed himself enough. He hasn't revealed himself fully. He hasn't given us the complete picture, but he's given us enough that we can know him, enough that we can worship him, follow him, love him. And, and that's actually the beauty of faith, that in this unknowable, unsearchable God has made himself known, that he draws us in. And we can know, uh, as Ephesians 3 says, it says, we can know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Like it doesn't make sense that we could know the love that surpasses knowledge. Like the line actually contradicts itself. But Paul is praying this for people that, that you'll be able to know, that you'd be able to grasp and, <clears throat> and actually get a sense of this love that actually doesn't make any sense. Well, the psalmist who writes in 145, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. When you think about it, it's like God's greatness is unsearchable, yet he's just said God is great. Like it doesn't make sense. And, and actually that's, maybe that's the nature of faith, that, that God, unsearchable, unknowing, has actually made himself known, but we've only been given a glimpse. But what if that glimpse is actually enough? <clears throat> so I want to look at a few different areas where God has revealed himself, that we can know him so that we can know him more and that we can actually have this foundation of knowing God. So firstly, from creation. In Romans chapter 1, we're going to look there. Well, how does God reveal himself through creation? So Romans 1, verse 19 to 20, it says this, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So what Paul is writing is that basically, through creation, God has revealed himself to everyone. That everyone can actually see God's eternal power, his divine nature. In fact, God has given us enough of a glimpse of himself that we are without excuse. That's pretty like, it's pretty hard-hitting words from Paul. That everyone is without an excuse because of what God has created. And when you actually take a moment to think about creation, like think about the grandness, the scale of, you know, what God has made, not just on like a big level, but also like on an intricate sort of detail level. Like it is amazing. Yeah? You'd agree? Like seriously, how? Like, and so when we see that, shouldn't that reveal something about God to us that we actually can point to a creator, a masterful and intentional design? You know, I like to spend a fair bit of time on YouTube and I, I don't know if you ever have like watched any like the Planet Earth videos, like with David Attenborough, BBC. Like it's just like his voice is amazing, 
And then, like, these videos are just, like, so cool. It's, like, just gives you a whole new perspective of, like, you know, the other night I came into the TV room and mum and dad were watching one and I was, like, these whales that were hunting dolphins, which were, like, then there's all these fish going everywhere and I was, like, what the heck? Like, this is, like, so cool. I don't know. Anyway, maybe it's just me. Um, either way, we're going to watch the trailer for Planet Earth 2 because I think it shows just how cool and how creative, how powerful God is. So, yeah, let's watch that. That's cool. I don't know about you, but and and look, I I don't know what you believe about creation. Obviously, some people think that that's sort of a chance thing or an accident thing. I believe that God has created it intentionally, masterfully, and despite sort of the chaos and the ferociousness of some of it, that it works and it's worked for thousands of years. And I go, that displays the nature and the power and the wonder of God. So much so that we can know him without excuse. 
we can see him. And so my encouragement would be sometime this week, find some time, open your eyes, and just be amazed at what God has done. So we can know God through what we see in creation. The second way we can know God, we get a glimpse of God, is in his word. So Isaiah 55, we're going to look at in a second. So Isaiah 55, it says this. I think we've got it on the screen. Yep. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that comes, goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So what is the prophet Isaiah saying here? He's saying, in the very same breath, he's saying, God is so much higher. God is higher. His thoughts are higher. Like, we cannot possibly understand. And yet, in the very same sentence, the very same paragraph, he says, yet, I've spoken and I've given you a word, and that will accomplish what I want it to accomplish, which is that we can know him, that he reveals himself, that he points us to Jesus as we've been talking about over the last few weeks and that we can know God through his word like so once again it shouldn't make sense that God is so much higher God is so much you know beyond what we can know and yet because he has spoken through his word we can know him and we don't get the full picture but we get a glimpse and you know, and it can be difficult, you know, God's word is never easy to understand. Even for the people who received it directly, they struggled with it, struggled to understand what did it mean. I mean, people heard Jesus. People were right in front of Jesus, and yet they didn't understand him. So it's not always going to be easy. We're going to have questions. We're going to have doubts. And yet, we believe that the Bible is sufficient that it gives us what we need to know Him. It reveals enough of God. Um, Eugene Peterson, he's, he, he translated the Bible into the message translation. And uh, he passed away just recently, but he had this quote which um, really captured me. It says, I sometimes marvel that God chose to risk His revelation in the ambiguities of language. If you had wanted to make sure that the truth was absolutely clear, Without any possibility of misunderstanding, he would have revealed his truth by means of mathematics. Mathematics is the most precise, unambiguous language that we have. But then, of course, you can't say I love you in algebra. And I love that because I think that's what captures the heart of God is that he's revealed himself. And like, think about it. Think about how many people interpret the Bible in so many different ways and yet like God's not coming down and striking them all with thunder and lightning and sort of you know putting on the grand show that everyone would know him perfectly like he's almost like okay with it in a weird way not like he's okay with people misinterpreting the Bible don't hear me wrong but like he's okay with like he's risked it and he because he wants that relationship where we actually seek him and we walk with him wanting to know him better 
and because he wants that relationship centered on love. And that's really what the Bible is about. It's about God revealing to himself us, revealing himself to us, revealing himself as a loving, good, good father who's perfect in all of his ways. And though we can mess it up sometimes, he is constant in who he is. And so I really want to encourage us to get stuck into the word so that we can know God. But the key is, I think, in how we approach it. Um, Kierkegaard was a 19th century philosopher, theologian, and, and this is what he says. It's all about the approach because, you know, we can, he writes that we can, we can approach the Bible as a textbook and go searching for answers and go searching um, for, you know, everything that we need and hope for all our questions, um, you know, we find out what we need to know. But if we do that, we'll, we'll come away disappointed. Because that's not why the Bible is written, so that we can just have our intellect, you know, tickled and know everything that we want to know. But he says to approach the Bible as a love letter, and it totally changes the way you approach it. You know, I don't receive a whole lot of love letters, but uh, you know, back in the day, you know, you get you get a few love texts or something. Is that the twenty first century like, you know, translation? But, you know, when you, when you get a text from someone that you love, like, you don't go, go through that like you would, you know, your notes for your exam. If you go through your notes for exam, you're looking for every detail. You want to know everything. You're trying to memorize things and stuff. When you get your text from, you know, girl or boy, whoever it is, you know, if there's a few grammar mistakes, I mean, you might get, I get a bit annoyed, but, like, you look over it, yeah? If there's a few things that don't quite make sense, you, you know, you're not trying to correct it or to, you know, memorize. You're trying to look for what's the heart of it. What are they trying to say? You know, and it's a different approach. Do you know what I mean? So when we come to the Bible, it's about the approach that we come to it. Do we come trying to discover more of who God is and trying to understand his love for us? Or do we come trying to, like, find the fault, trying to... It changes the way. The approach changes the way that we see it. And my prayer is that we can approach the Bible, we can approach God's Word seeking to know Him, having this discovery at the heart of our relationship. Because I think that's what love's about. That's what this relationship is about because love changes everything. I mean, think about Wade and Danny yesterday. You know, they got married. You know, and I mean, we joked around in some of the speeches about how much they actually know each other and maybe... You know, Danny doesn't quite know what she's up for sort of thing. And the reality is, like, do they know each other perfectly? No, of course not. But do they know each other enough? Yes, they know each other enough to decide to commit to each other for a lifetime of love. And I, I think that's what a relationship is about. It's this commitment that, okay, even though there's things I don't quite understand, even though there's things I might not even really like, that I'm committing and I'm going to learn more and, and understand more and grow in that discovery each and every day. And so I think it comes all back down to how we approach God. You know, we can see God as a cruel God who withholds information, who restricts us and not lets us do certain things. 
Or we can see God who is a God of love, who loves us, who's graciously revealed himself enough that we can know him. And he's invited us into a relationship where we can go on this adventure of knowing each other more daily. You know, it's, it's, a, it's about the approach. Is God this cruel God who withholds himself? Or is God a loving, gracious God who's revealed enough? And that approach really changes the way that we come to God. And my prayer is that we would approach it with the sense that actually God is gracious in revealing what he has. And maybe there's an adventure of faith ahead rather than this sort of withheld information that I'm forever going to be shaking my fist at God because he hasn't shown me or answered my questions. So we can know God through creation. We can know God through his word. We can know God thirdly through Jesus. Good old Sunday school answers. You know, over the last few weeks in our morning services, we've talked a fair bit about how the Bible points us to Jesus and really because Jesus himself reveals so much about the nature of God you know and there's plenty of evidence around to sort of support the claims that Jesus was a real human being and that um, many people you know would support his claims and his works and in the Bible in particular we get you know accounts from the gospels of his life and his ways But in Hebrews 1, this is what it says about Jesus, and I love this in Hebrews 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and and through whom He also made the universe. And this is the key bit. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So when we want to discover more of God, when we want to discover more of what God's like, Jesus is the one we look to, that he's the exact representation of, of the God of God. So we need to constantly be in the word, seeking to understand the way of Jesus. You know, my 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 big question for you would be when's the last time you've actually read some of the gospels and read about Jesus and just looked at his life and what he was doing and what he was saying and because when we see Jesus we see an exact representation of what God is like. You know, in John chapter 1, it says a similar thing, that Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then that the Word became flesh and came to dwell with us. And so in Jesus, we get a real clear picture of who God is. And so I was thinking, okay, what do we see? How do we, how do we see Jesus? Well, here's a few things. We see that Jesus is holy, that he's set apart. He knows no sin. He is completely other than all the people around him. He, he talks with authority. He performs miracles. He is set apart. Yet not only is he holy, but he's personal. Though he's completely set apart, he actually draws near to people. 
He connects with people, particularly the outcast, the broken, the poor, the needy. Jesus draws near to them. We see in the life of Jesus that he's a, he's a judge. He has some harsh things to say to some people. He's very clear on what you need to do to be in or out. He's, he's not sort of just there being everyone's friend. He's very clear on this is what you need to do to inherit eternal life. We see that he's powerful, that he performs miracles time and time again over nature, over sickness, death, demons. We see that Jesus is wise. He doesn't overextend himself. When he needs to take a break, what does he do? He escapes up the mountain and takes a break. He sticks to the plan. He teaches with authority. People time and time again come to try and trap Jesus and challenge him with questions and he's not fooled because he's wise. He's righteous. He seeks to put things right, to stand up for justice, to bring the kingdom of God. He's obviously loving in the way that he forgives, the way that he eats and connects with people, and then ultimately how he lays down his life. And there's probably many other things that we could draw from who Jesus is, but I just thought they're just a few things. Holy, personal, judge, powerful, wise, righteous, love that Jesus is that we also see throughout Scripture that God is, that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And here's the thing, you know, many people admire Jesus. Even people that aren't really Christians would say that Jesus was either a good moral teacher or that he had great values or he lived a good life, did good things. I mean, I think Gandhi was one of the ones that summed it up best, you know, the Hindu leader of India who said, I love Christ, but I don't like Christians. He's like, Christians are so different to Christ. I was like, that's probably a fair statement, you know. But, you know, well, I don't want to judge, get onto like the hypocritical thing because that's a whole other sermon. Um, this idea that he like, he loves Jesus, like he thinks Jesus is awesome. Like he lived... He's got good moral values. He sticks up for the poor and the oppressed. Like, Here's the thing. We're not just called to admire Jesus. We're called to follow him and to discover more of him. And I just had this, like, what if your picture of Jesus is incomplete? In fact, it probably definitely is. And I just think that's a cool thought that, like, actually there's more of Jesus that I can know. There's more that I can discover, more than I can find out. And so my prayer is that we would actually go on that journey of discovering more. And lastly, we have the Holy Spirit with us to actually enable this journey to happen. In John 14 verse 26 is what Jesus says. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then 2 Peter says also that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we've been given God's spirit. One key reason why is so that we can know Him, that the Spirit will teach us, remind us, convict us, give us everything that we need to live this godly life. And this godly life, which Peter writes, 
comes through our knowledge of him. That if we want to continue to grow as Christians, then we need to continue to know him more. That's really the key and the heart of tonight. That the knowledge of God is key. But here's the thing, it's not just head intellectual knowledge. Like I know these Bible verses off by heart and I know, you know, these theological truths that I've read in a book somewhere. But it's really revelations of God that actually transform our heart. That's really the heart discovery that we're after. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 that we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it says, as we contemplate, the word, the word literally means to behold in a mirror. So to, you know, as you gaze in a mirror, as you like look that intently at God, that's how we are transformed into his image. As we behold him, as we look at him, as we contemplate him, as we reflect on him, and that this is a work of the Spirit. See, maybe the biggest key for us in our transformation in our discipleship, in our becoming more mature, more Christ-like. Maybe one of the biggest keys for us in that journey is actually our discovery of Him. Our beholding of Him, our contemplating and reflecting on His beauty. Maybe that's the key for our journey with God. And the amazing promise of God is that His Spirit will do that for us. His Spirit will reveal God to us, whether that's through His Word, whether that's through the gifts of the Spirit that are displayed in the people around us, or the fruit of the Spirit displayed in the people around us, whether that's through the miraculous works of the Spirit, God's Spirit will reveal God to us. That's the promise. And so we hold on to that, knowing that that discovery is key for our entire journey and relationship with God. And so to wrap up, Paul writes once again in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. One day Jesus will return and we will know in full. And that is an amazing promise that we hold on to, that one day everything will be made clear. Everything will be revealed. All the questions will be answered. The entire history will be unveiled. And we will know in full. But for now, we know in part. While we're on earth, we know in part. But what if we saw that through a positive faith lens rather than a negative one? What if we saw that as a chance to actually know that if I'm always going to know in part on earth, if I'm never going to know fully, then there's always something more that I can know. There's always something I can discover. There's always something more I can see. And so I guess my prayer is that for us, that we would be curious in our faith. That just because this 
year of Generate Services is finished, we wouldn't stop asking questions. We wouldn't stop sort of you know, delving into tough topics. You know, may we be inquisitive. I love that word, inquisitive. I remember using it with our schoolies team once. I encouraged them to be inquisitive and they all looked at me a bit funny. Because, um, you know, we're going into this new culture and I encouraged them to be inquisitive, to ask questions, to try and discover um, what this culture, what this country is all about. You know, because there's so much to learn. There's so like these people have been living this way for so much and we're going in there for three weeks, you know, be inquisitive. And it's like a weird word that we use for kids, you know. Kids are allowed to be inquisitive, but it's almost like I've never heard an adult described as inquisitive. You know, it's almost like when you grow up, you're meant to know everything and you can, can't ask the questions anymore. But like what if when it came to faith, when it came to Jesus, that, that we wouldn't pretend to know everything, but we would be inquisitive. That we would ask the questions, that we would want to know more, that we would be reading and researching and watching and learning and you know diving into this with this nature of like i want to discover more and what if we actually created a culture that allowed that that encouraged that you know i've been talking to john sab about their life group where they've had a couple you know new christians in there and it says totally changed their life group because they're they're just asking all these questions and and it all of a sudden it encourages more questions and it, people are starting to discover things that they've sort of known but not really known and what if we all did that? Not just people who are new to faith, but all of us just, I want to know more. And I don't know at all. And that's okay. Because <laughs> none of us know in full. We all know in part. And so may we continue to be inquisitive. May we grow in our discovery. Because here's the thing, all throughout the Bible, God actually invites us to seek Him. You know, I, I didn't have time to sort of find out how many times. I think it's over 40. Over 40 times throughout the Bible, God invites us to seek Him. Not in the sense that He's hidden and we're sort of like hide and seek and good luck trying to find me sort of thing. But no, in the sense that He's drawn us in. He's revealed Himself enough that we can know Him. And He invites us to seek, to go on this journey of discovery and he promises that he will be found. In Jeremiah 29, it says that. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. It's not a maybe. It's not an if. It's not like an if you're lucky, you might find a bit of like He says, no, if you seek me, you will find me. Jesus says, ask, you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find And that's not just a once-off thing that happens in life. That's an ongoing journey of continuing to seek, continuing to ask, and then you'll find. And then you'll ask again, and you'll find again. And you'll seek some more, and you'll find some more. And that this ongoing journey of discovering more and more who God is. And as we do that, as we discover Him, maybe that's when we'll become more and more like Him. And so that's my encouragement and my prayer for us, that we would do that. Continue to discover God. And so I'm going to wrap up by showing a video in a minute of, of this poem uh, by Rainer Maria Rilke.
some bohemian German dude from a few hundred years ago. And he writes this thing. He says, God speaks to each of us as he makes us. And then he walks with us silently out of the night. And there are these words that we dimly hear. And he says, go to the limits of your longing. Like actually keep going, keep going after what you long for. And that that would be God and that we would keep going to that. And it's this invitation to grab his hand and walk that journey with him. So I'm going to show that, listen to that. And I'm just going to give after that just a few moments to actually just sit and reflect and actually, I don't know, in your own personal way, just maybe even ask God if you're up for it. Show me more. I want to dive in. I want to know more. Review yourself. Open my eyes. Help me. Bring people around me that will journey with me in this just spend some time praying and and then after you know a couple minutes or so uh francis and the guys will come up and they'll lead us in a few songs is that cool so let's um let's have a watch god speaks to each of us as he makes us then walks with us silently out of the night These are the words we dimly hear. You. Sent out beyond your recall. Go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. Flare up like a flame and make big shadows I can move in. Everything happened to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand.